Greetings and welcome back to another installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. I am Camille Foster of an outfit called Freethink Media. Delighted to be back with you again. Uh, this week, uh, got a little bit of a, a change in programming. Somewhat unexpected, actually. All of it. Uh, I am joined by a gentleman by the name of Matt Welch from Reason Magazine. He's the uh, editor-at-large yeah. there. Yeah, that's right. um, But unfortunately, Michael Moynihan has caused some sort of a bizarre traffic uh, problem someplace in the uh, New York City. In fairness, system. his excuses are getting more elaborate. Well, the now. guy, someone he pushed onto the train tracks yeah, and the train yeah. ran him over. It's very sad. Um, but because of that, uh, he is not with us now. He's apparently running late. So we may get him later in the show. We're not sure. Uh, but we did find a guy like lurking outside of the building. Um, I think it's kind of a fan we, situation. brought him in. We brought him in uh, to fill in for Michael Moynihan because why not? And I appreciate you guys doing it. I, I think you're taking a <laughs> risk here, but I appreciate you doing it. I I don't think so. I think we'll be I think we'll be fine. Uh, we have a, a candidate for the presidency of the United States of America. He is the first, actually. I guess he is the first uh, presidential candidate, but perhaps the first politician to join us. That is both both the uh, yeah. yes yeah wow Governor Gary so you Johnson g- you guys are running a running a different kind of a deal here this is a yeah, different yeah. kind of a deal most yeah. most of the people who come and join us are uh, are, are friendly um, journalists yeah and yeah people um, we like to talk to but we we like to talk to you as well and we are grateful for you I'm taking making this time as to a come compliment. and talk to us yeah I'm taking this yeah. as a compliment absolutely yeah wow. no, we we will get invitations out to uh, to Trump and 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 Hillary just for equal time and Evan McMillan let's yeah be oh sure. Yeah, we yeah. But, uh, who's your favorite uh, like uh, person who's behind you in the race? Out of all, I mean, just as a person, not like their policies or anything like that. Like, do you like Jill Stein? You kind of. I don't like, think you're annoying. allowed to ask him questions ask anymore him about who his favorite people are. Why? I'm just saying. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, well, well you can answer that you, if you want to. Yeah. Like the, well, uh, Nova Selleck, um, you know that that's pretty cool. Drew Carey, I, the man, they they stuck themselves out there. That's right, cool. those uh, very cool supporters. But I'm talking about people who are competing against you and not doing as or the well. The presidency of the United States. The people right. who are on like 20 ballots and on uh, nine ballots. Do you? Uh, you no, you, I don't think no. I like any of them. Okay, good. No, I don't. Not not even personally. Like you wouldn't go out. Oh, and I think with yeah, yeah. Jill Stein. I think she's a good. I think she's a good person. She's a good person. Yeah. But she's wrong about virtually everything. Um, you know, on the social side, she's probably got it nailed pretty well. But boy, yeah. when you start into economics, it really—I I don't know—it's another planet. Yeah. Uh, what do you what do you think of uh, and I, I want to sort of talk about a lot of specific things. I mean, we've had the uh, vice presidential debate this week. There's some new news uh, in the NSA. Um, but I, I wanted to perhaps start uh, by just sort of taking your temperature on this campaign cycle. I mean, this is not your first rodeo um, running on the libertarian ticket for the presidency. Um, what's different this time as opposed to last time? Well, it starts obviously with uh, two most polarizing political figures of all time and space that happen to be their nominees, meaning Democrats and Republicans. So, um, in that, um, you know, that's what's that's what's really different. Um, there was a lot of momentum in 2012 that ended up to be one percent of the vote. The momentum has never stopped, and uh, I'd like to think that, uh, regardless of how this turns out, this election cycle that. 
that 2020 will be that much more momentum for whomever the Libertarian candidate is and the Libertarian Party. I mean, I really do see a, um, a lot of... Uh, I, I see a lot of down-ballot races, a lot of down-ballot candidacies that are currently not happening. And, in, and by not happening, they're just not being filled. You don't have a whole right, slate of it. libertarians top to bottom. Sure. Uh, I'm going to predict 2020, you know, going forward, there's going to be a lot more libertarian candidates. I remember after the 2012 race, you were happy to have it over. <laughs> You're uh, it, like it, it wore you out towards the end. Are you having more fun this time around? Is what's how how's the experience changed? Well, the experience. Uh, so um, what a Gandhi quote. Um, what what first they ignore you, then they make fun of you, then they attack you, and, and, then, then, you and then you win. Then you well, I don't I don't I don't know if I'm going to move beyond this attack. So I'm in the attack phase, right? Getting attacked phase, and it's. It's kind of nasty. Do you know that uh, it Hillary might be spending fifty million dollars to discredit me? And that just seems just in eight swing states, actually. Yes, it's, it's uh, that's just that's just amazing. I, when you consider the fact that um, Bill Weld and myself are going to, I don't know, we're going to have raised about ten million bucks to this point to Hillary's nine hundred million and. Trump's what three hundred million dollars? Wow, that's it's amazing. It's a big difference. It's amazing to think about uh, the disappearing act that Citizens United uh, makes once it's the general election season. <laughs> like, wow, money in politics is the worst thing ever. Yeah, no, no not when you've got to spend. Now it's and, Hillary Clinton uh, outspending. I'm sure uh, Donald Trump and the Republican Party by a lot, and then eh, who cares? Yeah, it's all on the table for sure. I mean, when when it comes down to it, though. I, I want, one wonders whether or not her spending and perhaps even negative attack ads could have some sort of a boomerang effect. I mean, there are plenty of people who might say, well, who is this Gary I think uh, I think young people recognize that. I, yeah. I really do. Um, somebody said something interesting the other day that uh, young people who've grown up with the Internet, millennials, grown up with the Internet, they've never known anything but the Internet, that there's not a filter for the news. Yeah. And uh, you get older than that. You know, uh, sixty-three years old. Uh, you know, you're, you're still looking. For, you're still looking at a filter when it comes to. I think I've gotten beyond it, but uh, everything gets filtered, and you kind of take, you kind of listen to the filter as opposed to hearing it direct. And I think young people hear it direct. So I'm heartened by the fact that we are uh, tied for the lead right now with uh, Clinton, but tied for the lead is coming from way down low uh, getting to this point. So sure. I, th I think by election day, we might actually be leading among millennials and we're leading among independents right now, too, which is really cool. Now, there are two criticisms that have been sort of leveled at your campaign at this point. The first um, is, is one that we've seen repeatedly, both from Democrats and Republicans, a variation of it, which is... Well, yeah, if you cast a vote for Gary Johnson, you are essentially casting a ballot for the other guy and, and or gal and helping them win. That's the first one. And the second has something to do with uh, the Aleppo gaffes that have taken place. Um, and there's this general argument, this perspective that has been offered. And if Michael was here, I suspect he might actually poke you uh, a little more firmly. Um, I've, I've been defending you somewhat. Um, but it, I think it's fair to sort of throw it out there um, that you're – you don't know enough to occupy the office. And you've responded to, to I know, both of those charges on different occasions. I, I wonder what your perspective on them is sort of 
today, right now, at this moment. Well, what's uh, what's and by the way, this is not a this is not a revelation. This is just uh, this is just an example of the fact that uh, politicians that can dot the i's and cross the t's. Um, in this case, foreign leaders, uh, geographic locations. That then somehow makes them qualified uh, to put our military in harm's way, men and service women dying, getting uh, hurt or maimed or psychologically damaged for the rest of their lives. And hundreds of thousands of innocent people in these countries that we engage in uh, and that somehow dotting the I's and crossing the T's on geographic locations and names of foreign leaders makes them qualified to put all that shit into play. Yeah. But but from an affirmative from an affirmative perspective, what is your foreign policy today? Like what is the Gary Johnson foreign policy? How do you articulate your own thinking for how we approach situations like Aleppo, for example? Well, we should have never we should have never got involved in the regime change of Syria in the first place. Uh, and right now, uh, it's a mess. And right now, if you want to look at doing some things positively, uh, it would be to, uh, um, at a minimum, take our fair share of refugees that arguably we have contributed to that situation, but giving them safe haven uh, here in the United States. Last night in that debate, I was struck by the fact that they both talked about safe zones uh, within Syria. Well, gee, what safe zones going to uh, encompass? That's going to be boots on the ground, United States boots on the ground, men in service, women going into a foreign country and creating a safe zone. Well, there's all sorts of unintended consequences that go along with a safe zone. Uh, but then in the same breath, and I'm talking now about Pence, you know, he won't even let Syrians into his own state. Uh, he should be looking to let Syrians into his own state so that he can protect uh, the lives of U.S. men and service women. Because ultimately, if you're talking about a safe zone, uh, you're going to put our our kids, our, our, our brothers and sisters, fathers, eh, mothers in harm's way. What else did you see at the debate last night in terms of foreign policy and what it made you think in contrast for how you and uh, Governor Weld approach things? Well, what I saw in that uh, debate last night, now I'm, I'm, back, to, um, I'm back to these uh, safe zones. Uh, we're not getting security, national security briefings. So one of my takeaways is, uh, is this that is the Libertarian Party. They uh, officially requested getting the same briefings as the Democrats and Republicans, and they were shut down two, three weeks back. So here's here's a takeaway that I had. They both agree on a safe zone. Well, to me, you know what that was? That was them getting national security briefs and that the national security people, whomever that uh, encompasses, which I can't even really tell you who that encompasses. But that they would be they would have been saying, look, we need to create some safe zones and here's how we go about that and that this is our goal. Uh, that was my takeaway from that. Well, I'm skeptical. So, OK, so I'm not going to I'm not going to divulge information. I'm not going to leak information that's uh, that's of national security if I'm allowed to be in these um in these briefings, but I'd sure like to be a part of these briefings. I'd sure like to know, you know, going back to Syria 
at the start. Uh, who were the promises that we made? For example, did we make promises to the Free Syrian Army? Uh, and to what extent did we make promises to them that we're still supporting them? And, of course, that was with uh, arms. Uh, when it comes to Iraq, I, I get the sense that in each and every one of these entanglements, that that's exactly what they are, are entanglements, uh, that they that they that our friends and I, I won't say that they haven't been friends, but that we we this country somehow makes commitments to all of them and that this is how we get caught in it in the first place. And I'll bet Obama, when he took office, I'll bet he found himself uh, in the middle of these entanglements. And I'll tell you, I think the guy that you want to have in this office to actually unscramble all of that, to make sense of it to start with, and then actually untangle it, I think that guy's me. There's uh, uh, the common critique among conservative Republicans at this point and was echoed very strongly by Pence. And this is actually separate from Trump. Trump is in his own category on foreign policy, I think. Um, some of it's interesting and and even uh, it, welcome. Um, others uh, is not. But the common conservative thing that Pence uh, said last night is, well, we've lost Obama uniquely reduced our stature in the world. We're not like winning anymore. We're not. He's America is no longer uh, great and people can take advantage of us. What is your response to that broad and familiar Republican critique of Obama's foreign policy? You know, I um, I don't want to say that we're any safer, but I don't think Obama has ever been in a position in his life before. I'm back to this uh, unscrambling of the, just the massive amount of information. And if you go in with a certain philosophy, and in this case, I would go into this office with the philosophy of not intervening, uh, of not involving ourselves in regime change – well, when you begin to understand all of the complexities that have to exist for us being there in the first place, um, I don't think he could make heads or tails and not not a chop on Obama, just anybody put in that situation. That is a difficult situation. And if you haven't been used to it, if that's not how your mind works, I hope I'm not sounding too ethereal here, but... Um, I, I really do believe that I could cut through that clutter and um, and actually change foreign policy that would be one of uh, um, clear direction, uh, uh, attacked, we're going to attack back. I'm going to go into this, uh, I would go into this office intending to honor all treaties and obligations. Let's put that out on the table first and foremost, but... In that context, uh, I want to get to the root of all of what it is we're doing and why. Yeah, it's certainly been argued in in some circles that the position that you have articulated, Governor Johnson, from from a foreign policy standpoint, is actually quite similar in some ways to sort of what the Obama administration is doing. Um, And I suppose that's true in some ways, uh, especially when you take into account the leaked audio that we got um, a couple of days ago, actually, in a few different sources, but of John Kerry talking to Syrian rebels um, and essentially saying, I lost the argument when it comes to came to use of force in Syria, uh, sort of doing something uh, about what we are the devastation, really, that has been um, brought uh, by both the Syrian government and the Russians uh, there. Um, 
because they they really want folks to get involved. Um, and it's interesting, I think, to hear Carrie say explicitly um, I, in these I, recordings. I, I, I that saw he, that. I saw yeah. that same. Yeah, I thought that that was very interesting. Yeah. Um, also. I would never be drawing lines uh, that if I said you crossed over that line, there would be grave consequences. Uh, I would not be drawing those lines unless I actually meant to follow up on those lines. That's another life lesson. So, hey, you know what? First, you don't draw the lines to begin with. But if you do, and that occasionally happens, um, boy, you don't let that one slip. Yeah, one of the lines is obviously the border <laughs> and people coming with guns on the other side of it and invading your country. Well, sure. That's that is pretty, that is fair. Pretty natural. Certainly uh, if someone crosses the border armed, uh, you, you probably want to do something line. about it. I mean, but and Matt, you watch – lines in the sand over Syria. Don't, yeah. Don't, oh, yeah. Don't do it or here's what's going to happen. No, I mean sure. it's, it, was a, it was a remarkable moment I think. Uh, and this is kind of the high watermark. Camille and I were talking just before we started of um, – uh, how Edward Snowden, who you have said that you would pardon, um, uh, is not that big of a deal in this election compared to where it, w- it was in 2013 and 2014. And I think some of that is just an artifact of, well, when both major candidates just want to throw the bastard in jail, um, suddenly it's not as interesting a, a topic for the media to sink their teeth in to. And, and also Rand Paul, who is a, who shares some of your uh, politics uh uh, and who is kind of a ringleader of not just the kind of Snowden-related um, pushback against the NSA, but also against Syria. I mean, he mm-hmm. he was he was whipping up uh, kind of domestic antagonism towards the John Kerry uh, and Hillary Clinton, if she had been in power, and uh, Barack Obama desire to get into Syria. Um, that was kind of a high watermark for that le- that. Uh, level. I mean, there was a, there was a Tuesday in August when we w- were supposed to be bombing by Friday, and as of Thursday, it changed. The British uh, House of uh, the, the British Parliament voted on it, and they voted it down, and these kind of things. But we don't live in that. It feels like we don't live in that moment anymore. Partly because uh, the people uh, we we lack characters there to f- fill in the opposition. I mean, you are uh, making these points here. You're also polling at eight uh, percent, and people, you know, in oftentimes look for reasons not to talk about what you're talking about, uh, and rather talk about how they think that you're high or or, or whatever. But we kind of lack the the uh, antagonists in that that drive these stories uh, together um, uh, in general. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there there are a couple of other stories I think that it would be interesting to get your take on. I mean, related to this, uh, to, to the Edward Snowden point that you just made, Matt. I mean, we saw this week as well that there are new revelations with respect to Yahoo uh, cooperating with some sort of confidential requests from the government uh, to essentially provide them with data. And, and it's a little it's a little bit hazy. We don't quite know exactly what's happened here. And Yahoo is claiming that the representations of this in the press um, are are a little bit oversimplified or are oversimplified. Perhaps the little bit is not a necessary qualification. Um, but that what we've seen here is perhaps something along the lines of the sort of mass surveillance that we were seeing before, where Yahoo built some sort of software about a year ago to scan all of the emails that were coming through the Yahoo server um, and to scan it for some selectors, some phrases that we are we, we don't know what those phrases were, but apparently the FISA court approved it um, and was providing this information um, to the federal government, although we don't know exactly what was provided to the government either. Um, what's really sort of an issue here is obviously the mass surveillance is disconcerting, 
But the reports seem to indicate, and these reports didn't come by way of leak, uh, what seems to have happened is there were former employees uh, who have weighed in and said, hey, this was going on and people ought to know. But what the reports say is that Yahoo didn't push back. And for a while there, you know, after the Edward Snowden revelations, you actually had companies like Facebook and Google and Apple who were saying very vocally, we shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff. You know, the government is making requests of us that that we have a difficult time complying with. They were at least getting into some legal wrangling. And it's not clear whether Yahoo's lawyers got involved in this process at all. Um, And again, as I said, there's a lot that still needs to sort of come out in the wash here and more reporting yet to be done. But I mean, what is your perspective, uh, Governor Johnson, on on the the issues that Edward Snowden raised? Do you still hear from your supporters that this uh, sort of mass surveillance and privacy and really, I mean, what is a First Amendment um, issue here, like the chilling effects of having a, a massive surveillance apparatus run by the government? Are people still concerned about that? Uh, clearly, it's um, it's the biggest applause line of um, of any rally. I'm going to pardon Edward Snowden. Hmm. Yeah, uh, and I just um, I just concur with everything it is that you just said, which is to really put out a whole bunch of questions on what just happened at Yahoo yeah. or been revealed to happen at Yahoo. Yeah, uh, this is terribly disturbing. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes this it, it comes out and, you know, we have these conversations and this this actually harkens back to another conversation I was having earlier. And they tend to center around sort of privacy today. Most of the time when we talk about um, sort of mass surveillance, it's a violation of privacy rights. But there are those First Amendment, um, those First Amendment issues. But to me, anyways, it seems like the fundamental issue here is secrecy. Um, and the difficulty with all of the trade-offs between sort of national security and surveillance, et cetera, et cetera, is that if I do not know what you are doing um, in any way, shape, or form, and if I don't understand hear, the scale- You hear is the government. The government. Yes. Yeah, the government. And I, and I think it is sort of fundamentally different when sort of Google is collecting information and there are some terms, of ser- terms and services. And if they violate those, I could take them to court. We could do something about this. Um, but with the NSA program, I mean, there was clearly a lot of upset early on. Um, and the reforms that have happened since that time are not much to write home about. Well, um, and there are still these programs they, spinning who's up. Who's to say what those reforms were? Really? Right. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it's a big, big question mark. And I, I would love to see tra- the tra- transparency when it comes to the NSA. What are they doing? And pardoning Edward Snowden. Uh, what I've said is based on what I know, I would pardon Edward Snowden. Well, uh, based on what I know is is that no one has gotten hurt as a result of uh, of his uh, disclosures. Um, and um, in that context, what is all this metadata producing? I'd just like to see one concrete example, right? Yeah, of I mean, what has resulted from any of this? Yeah, the effect, what are they after? The effectiveness matters. Um, the the efficacy, of course, matters. Um, but the, to be clear, the efficiency matters. All these facts matter. The NSA under President Johnson, what happens to it? My understanding, and maybe you guys can clarify this. My understanding is NSA is an executive order under Truman twelve three three three. If that's the case, uh, let's start by turning the satellites away from 110 million Verizon users. Let's stop with the metadata collection. There is a due process, but it's not due process where a FISA court grants uh, 
the ability of NSA to monitor 110 million Verizon users. And Sorry. FISA court decisions should be public? This should be transparent. We do have due process. So, look, uh, you've, got a, you've got a suspect. Uh, let's, let's hear it. And, mm-hmm. hey, I'm going to grant you the ability to monitor this person. But metadata collection? I want to know what's going on. And as president, I'm going to make that transparent. We have. Uh, oh, we have. And if, uh, and if it's and and if I, I'd be the first one to say, oh, I'm not going to make it transparent because here's what I've found out, and and I would I would communicate that. But I have a feeling that would not be the case. I have a feeling I would not have to engage in in that uh, communication. Uh, we have uh, a limited amount of time with you, and I wanted to get you to react to a couple of uh, of uh, things that have, uh, hit the news. Uh, I wrote a piece earlier today about the Boston Globe uh, story about Bill Weld uh, that he said to me contained a half a dozen kind of gross inaccuracies. But there was one part of it that uh, uh, involved you. So I wanted just to get your uh, take on whether or not – Anything happened like this? They allege that strategists close to Weld looked into the uh, Libertarian Party bylaws to see whether they could flip the ticket. And then uh, but uh, once you found out about this, you got mad and you put a stop to it. Is that true? Is there any basis? No, no, no. Glad glad we got some closure on that. Um, It feels like we are now officially in the season where people are taking – Every candidate's uh, comments intentionally uh, out of context and making conclusions about it that are the opposite of it. I think one happened to you a couple of days ago. Um, I think the headline everywhere was uh, Gary Johnson says ignorance is a good idea or something. And then the actual tape of it, you didn't say the word ignorance or anything like it. Um, What do you – What's it like to go through that season where uh, uh, Bill Weld says makes the point about uh, sort of defending your Aleppo comment by saying, well, on paper, Hillary Clinton's very qualified. But, you know, there's there's another story about that inquiry. That's not the limit of it. And everyone says, see, he says she's the most qualified presidential candidate ever. Journalists are saying this, even though it's very, very clear that the context of the statement was the context of the statement was it was a sentence before and a sentence after and and then there was that complimentary sentence i say complimentary i think it's just an accurate statement in between is she qualified yes should she be president no or we wouldn't be here i mean i'm paraphrasing but yeah it's pretty amazing it's pretty amazing matt it, from the outside it feels like this wasn't happening I, too I, much, and then suddenly it, it's happening 30 times a day. Well, that's the, the this uh, $50 million phenomenon. This is an interview that I had the other day with the Washington Post where he asked me, is it true that you didn't, when you became governor, that you didn't understand how laws were made? I, uh, By the way, I, I highly commend that story. I don't know if you saw it, Camille. Uh, we blogged about it uh, yesterday. Brian Doherty did. It's a Washington Post story. They, they tried to clearly get inside of the cycle of Gary Johnson's a dumbass, uh, uh, like a mm-hmm. news thing. Yeah. And so they, that's the kind of the top. Like we, we interviewed people in, in New Mexico and they said that he didn't really know what, was, know what was going on with bills. You know, it's not really the first time. But actually, 85 percent of the story is just about how he vetoed the shit out of everything because he said, no, look, the budget has to come in under this number. Yeah. So when it's over, I'm, I'm going to veto that. And like for limited government people, libertarians, the story is like, ah, oh, that's great. That's a super high five. There's no 
there's no downside to it, but they try to tuck in a little bit at the top of like, oh, he's some kind of uh, ignorant blunder blunderbuck. <laughs> very, sort very of funny. moron. Well, the, you know, there's there's been there've been uh, a few sort of hardcore libertarians. Let me use that that phrase um, who have sort of taken issue um, with uh, with with Bill Weld on sort of gun issues and some other things. And that's and just it, so unfounded also. You know, Bill Weld uh, had a dialogue uh, going on when he was governor about uh, limiting certain types of weapons. And he, and at that time, you know what? He said, sure, I'm open to the dialogue. I'm open to how this might go forward. Well, nothing came of it. And then later on, he just, you know, as with all of us in all of our lives, well, I shouldn't have done that, but I did do it at that time and nothing came of it. Yeah. Well, one issue that I um, have sort of been curious about, and I think you've been sort of generally applauded for your support of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, is that I have a slightly, I think I have a more nuanced perspective on Black Lives Matter. And, and actually saying black, it... Do you suppose? Yeah, no, does, no. He doesn't self-identify that's, that's as black. And, and I don't really do anything as a, as a black man. I do stuff as Camille. Like, I can't speak on behalf of everyone I'm, who happens to look try, like I'm trying me. to be humorous. No, no, Just it's trying. good. It's good. All right. uh, but I was, I was correcting the record for anyone who, right. who might not know. Um, but, you know, when I look at the, when I look at the movement, um, I sometimes worry that they take issues that are sort of fundamentally about violations of really essential constitutional rights, right? Right. Um, And they cover them in a great deal of sort of supposition about what may or may not be going on here and about about bias with statistics, for example, that say, well, look, black people are way more likely to get shot by the police, um, which are generally speaking sort of relative to the population. Like whether or not sort of black people are at some sort of unique risk um, just as a consequence of being black in this country, I think is a debatable proposition when it comes to them interacting with the police. I'm going to, I'm going to, the reason I uh, uh, disagree is, is that um, having been as outspoken as I've been on the war on drugs Mm -hmm. and legalizing marijuana, um, if you're of color, there's a four times more likelihood that you end up behind bars than if you're white, if you're arrested on drug-related crime. So mm-hmm. this is, man, this is where this came to me front and center. And then and then the other thing that I, I was watching the video the other day about the uh, the black school teacher in uh, San Antonio, Texas. Did you see that? She got body slammed? I didn't say. Well, <laughs> it, th- that could have been me. But you know what? Um, if I think because I'm white, the police officer would not have treated me like he treated this maybe bl- this black woman school. T- told maybe. her maybe get in the car, get in the car, get yeah, in mean, the car. And some then- some cops do a bad job, but but that's but that's what I'm saying. Like we can speculate about that, and that's certainly what Black Lives Matter does in any number of cases. In the sort of rash of recent high profile shooting incidents. That's what they do. But plenty of people have, of all races, have been abused, have had their rights violated by police officers. Um, and, and it's certainly true that we have seen sort of uh, uh, black people relative to sort of their use of certain drugs um, be more likely to, to be prosecuted or arrested um, for, 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 uh, drug, for drug violations. But I think... 
whether or not that is a function of their blackness or a function of some other issues is sort of a secondary concern because the disparities themselves aren't really the issue. The real issue here is that the government is prosecuting a war on drugs against people making sort of an individual choice to use these substances. And there are far too many people who are getting caught up in it and far too many communities that are being destroyed by it. And I know you agree with that sort of description. But for me, I I worry that making it an argument about the disparities perhaps blunts the message. And it's certainly it's a defensible proposition to sort of make the case and to to try to appeal to the Black Lives Matter crowd um, and bring them into the big tent. And there are plenty of libertarians who are delighted that you're doing it. But personally, I it 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 sort of rubs me the wrong way. Uh, but I've I've also sort of given you a pass on it. All right. So I I, uh, I, I watched the uh, O.J. Simpson documentary mm-hmm. uh, when it when it came out, and lo and behold, it had as uh, so many Emmy nominations that it had. But yeah. hey, for anybody listening to this uh, this right now, and if you haven't seen it, go look at it, go watch it. For me personally. Wow, thinking myself an informed individual at that time and then and then seeing that documentary and revisiting all of the just egregious actions on the part of uh Los Angeles police prior to OJ. Um boy, it gave you a real perspective on why it turned out the way it turned out. We certainly had some vigorous conversations about that documentary here yes, at the, we have. at the fifth uh, fifth column. Uh, here and I, I agree with you, uh, Governor Johnson. Mr. Moynihan, who's not here, probably uh, would not. Uh, we should probably let you go. Yes, since we're up against you're up against your time. Um, totally appreciate you stopping by. I and, appreciate uh, you guys. We're, and, uh, we're thrilled. And, and and as I said, I am a I am a supporter of yours. Um, I, I hope that the listeners have been entertained and informed by our conversation uh, because they both know that we both Matt and I are fans of the campaign. Um, and are happy with a lot of the the impact that you're having on the cycle. Um, and uh, in that respect, I'm not I'm not an impartial no. spectator oh. here. Well, and something so. I've said to Matt a number of times, and I'll say it to you too, Camille, is for all of us that these issues matter so much, oh, yeah. and that we have a libertarian perspective on all of these issues. I realize you're kind of stuck with me. Uh, and I am tr- I am trying to do the best job that I can, recognizing that either one of you, if given the same opportunity, would probably be doing a better job. But I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, try- I'm trying right to get- or wrong. I'm the I gotta, one sitting here. I gotta, I'm sure trying to do my best. That's what I'm trying to. Tell I'm you trying about. to get Camille in the ring uh, for yeah, uh, for yeah, 2020. Yeah, yeah it, maybe maybe if you'll come back and be my running mate. I oh, will yeah. be the president. So okay. we just change positions that way. Well, and the beautiful thing about – and this is something Bill Weld said. The beautiful thing about uh, coming in right at the end yeah. is I didn't have to beat my head up against the wall. So, okay. yeah, the running mate thing, I Great. mean, yeah, if that works, so if presuming, that works out. presuming you don't win because you might, right? You might still win. I'm fine with that. I want you to win. But if you don't, will you endorse me right now? <laughs> <laughs> for four years wow, from now. That's good. That's good. Yeah, you are the nominee. Boom. You've you've got the you've got the endorsement. Boom. You got the. We did it. You heard it here first. <laughs> wow. Gary Johnson, thank you for joining us, sir. All right, thank appreciate you guys. your time. Thank you. We, 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 we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column. 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 Well, Moynihan, are you okay? Are you are you feeling all right? 
I mean, I'm okay. Um, the, the It's the MTA, which I blame for most everything, that prevented me from being there and in the company of you, uh, uh, the great Matt Welch, and uh, the, you know, the okay Gary Johnson. How uh, was Mr. Johnson? I missed him, and I'm very upset about it. He was good. I mean, we gave him a real, like, cream puff, uh, cream puff interview. Um and he sort of he sort of played along. He kind of filled in for you a little bit and responded to a couple of stories. We talked a bit about the debate, which you can you can give us your perspective on. Uh, we talked a little bit of NSA um, and uh, yeah. Camille's burying the lead. Uh, I Camille, pushed him, I pushed him a bit at the end uh, on the Black Lives Matter stuff. And I mean, I told him that uh, I thought that, uh, look, I know a lot of people like what you're saying with respect to those chillings. Uh, but I think that it would almost certainly be better for us if you were focusing on the fundamental issue that the drug war is just bad and we shouldn't be locking up anyone and the disparities aren't the principal issue. And I, and I know that they are happy to hear you talk about the issue that way. Um, but I don't think that it, it is actually the best way to advocate on those on those particular issues. And, you know, he, he pushed back a little bit. He, he laid out his case. But I, I think it was towards the end of the conversation. So I can't say that I persuaded him. But you're you're correct, Matt. There is another lead, which is he actually endorsed me to be the nominee for the Libertarian Party next go round. Yeah. And he agreed. Presidential nominee. And he said he would run. He would be my running mate. Yeah. It was a really good last ditch uh, arm twist uh, on Camille's part. He he was very I mean, he was enthusiastic about it. I could see the smile on his face. That was genuine and real. You said you smelled you smelled the opportunity. Like a shark smells blood. Well, Uh, so we got some pretty good uh, campaign uh, photographs early. There Uh, it is. Foster Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Foster's Johnson. There it is. Oh my God. That, yeah, that'll be on the side of the bus, better. which is appropriate yeah. because it's huge. <laughs> the bus is huge. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm so you, the, the breaking news here is that Gary Johnson is not running for president in 2020, right? <laughs> <laughs> is that uh, and Camille, and Camille and Foster, Foster is? is? I mean, that is the yeah, breaking yeah. news. Um, but no, that, I, look, I, we, I, did quali- we did qualify it. We said there is a chance he could win. We, we did say, if you don't win. Would you endorse yeah, yeah. Camille and would you be his running mate? And he said, absolutely, yes, totally. Oh, my God, this would be amazing. Thank you. This is the greatest honor of my life. I don't know if he said the rest Some of it. Some of that was a little embellished. Yeah, but, uh, a little bit of an embellishment. Um, but, but so you're still, t- you're still talking to him in that language that he might win. <laughs> <laughs> well, you weren't here. I mean. So I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Did anyone give him a hard time about um, the the uh, brain freezes or are we all done with that that narrative? I mean, we, talk, we, we talked about, about it. it we talked about it, but I didn't give him a hard up. time because I don't I don't want to. Um, and he pushed yeah. back in a, in a predictable way. Um, and I guess we're just going to cut this out or something because now we're rehashing, rehashing this. That everyone else has heard. Let's let's. We'll, no, we'll no, no, no. No, it's- no, it's fine. It's not just rehashing. I mean, you're, I mean, you're, okay. I mean, the excitement in my voice of hearing that Camille Foster is running for president in uh, 2020 is something we can't fake, and there's something that we can't bottle. I mean, That's true. To, That's true. Yeah, yeah. So, I think this is really going to catch fire all over America. I mean, this is what Americans have yeah. really been waiting for. The, the, the black guy who does not self-identify as black and wants to legalize all drugs and prostitution – um, I mean, this is this is what we've been waiting for. Like, you know, I think I might really be able to make drugs and, America great again. Again, 
Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you're just basically, with the exception of the legalizing drugs and prostitution, you're talking about Alan Keyes. <laughs> <laughs> no, because Camille's not tall. Uh, no, like my Alan. sneaker game is way better than his. Uh, you know what you need to do? Oh. Do you remember the uh, great, not great uh, movie, Wag the Dog? It was just sort of a good 90s, uh, late 90s sure, document. Sure. Um, movie, a terrible uh, political phrase right right mm. down there with gaslighting. Uh, but uh, uh, it's a pretty good movie uh, where they're stage managing a, uh, a small uh, scale invasion in some faraway country to divert attention away from the president's affairs. Mm-hmm. And this came out like yeah. the, uh, the minute before the Lewinsky scandal. So it was kind of funny in that respect. But uh, one of the political operatives, the kind of would be uh, Roger Stone type, I uh, came up with this great idea, like, let's just start some viral, and that wasn't even a word back then, I don't think, um, like nonsense. And it was everyone was going to throw a pair of sneakers over a telephone wire. And so, sure. l- like, it became a way to show that you were uh, uh, the the late 90s version of woke, I guess. <laughs> and so <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. and so suddenly, yeah. like, this random signal uh, became a thing. And you can do that with Yeezys everywhere. So if we get to... Uh, mm. People sure. throwing yeah. throwing really expensive Yeezys uh, like over that. over telephone wires. That is the bat signal wow. for Camille Foster to come in and save this republic. Well, they won't stay there. Establish it as they a republic. Won't, they won't stay there since they since they are valued at over a thousand dollars in some cases. People will oh, climb God. those climb those light poles to take them down. Here we go. Um, can so there will be a I, rash of I... execution uh, electric electrocutions around the country, which would be sad. Uh, I can't... Uh, Camille, can I ask you what, if you can predict, and I know that you're not Rasputin, you're not a soothsayer, Mm. you're not a medium, you're not a mystic, but what will be your sister soldier moment? (laughs) (laughs) You kind of have to have one, and you should denounce, you know, um, who would you denounce, Young Thug or something? Uh, Oh, my gosh. Can I I denounce Macklemore? Can I do that? Oh, but at Macklemore, the thing about Macklemore is that beyond being absolutely repulsive in every way, is that he's also apparently an anti-Semite. So, <laughs> oh, is that ever, right? He, and, and I don't want to make accusations like this uh, that are unfounded, but I will say people can look it up. He did appear on stage once in Seattle uh, dressed as a Hasidic Jew, <laughs> so um, throwing money around. It was a very unfortunate incident, so... That's, that's maybe maybe Macklemore is your sister soldier. I think that was just a, a recreation or a staging of the Merchant of Venice, which uh, is my my all time favorite uh, Shakespeare play, um, and and I actually think that it's very generous to to the. Uh, I guess he's not the main character. Shylock. Yeah. Yeah. He's not the main character. No. But I mean, I felt for him in that in that story. I'm still but thinking anyway, in terms of of like bumper stickers for Camille. Vote for Camille. <laughs> I hate democracy. <laughs> That'd be pretty good, right? It's true. I don't. I don't think you're bright enough for the job. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to figure that out. There's a lot of a lot of details to figure out um, and and bridges to cross there. You know, Moynihan, we talked a little bit about the debate uh, earlier. I'm I'm pretty sure you watched it. Uh, what What was your takeaway from the uh, from the very inspiring vice presidential debate? Well, uh, the first thing is I want to point out to Matt that uh, Camille has already derailed his campaign by uh, saying that Shylock is his favorite character <laughs> in the Booker novel. Um, so, you know, I mean, I'm saying I understand his be, position. Yeah. He was look, he was mistreated. It's a it looks- he was mistreated. He was mistreated. There was yeah. a contract. The sure. contract said he gets a pound of flesh, and the guy just didn't want to pay him. 
He was just being a okay. jerk. I don't. You could pay. Pay. Yeah, I don't. Camille, I don't speak German, so uh, I'll continue with a bit about, about the debate. Moynihan, uh, Moynihan, hold on. It's it's uh, yeah, Camille is yeah. being actually very pragmatic. He's trying to go after the uh, alt right vote that will have nowhere left to go <laughs> after yeah, election true. day. He's going to build that bridge, that paleo libertarian bridge. He's going to rebuild it. I just don't think it is appropriate to to <laughs> pretend that Mr. Shakespeare was an anti semite. He's not. He was no, not. I, I think that's people think that's are misconstruing. True. I mean, because you know, it's important to remember in novels and in films, the characters that you create are not always reflections of you. So I think that we can exonerate William Shakespeare of being an anti-Semite. Um, yeah, look, he was a, he was a man consumed by revenge. I'm sorry, that's all. He was exactly. But I will say that to the to the point of where does the alt right go? This is. I mean, I was thinking about this today, and the idea of after John McCain. Uh, flamed out, and we all remember that in 2008. Matt Welch, uh, our illustrious co-host, wrote a book about John McCain. Um, so uh, the myth of a maverick. Uh, but the thing about McCain is, right afterwards, everybody in the conservative firmament started saying, and this is the, the sort of Limbaugh type line, was that this is what happens when you don't elect a conservative. And we need people who are more conservative. The idea was that somehow if this person is more conservative, more conservatives would come out to vote. We wouldn't have Barack Obama. It is madness, but this was the line, right? And I think that now we have the opposite thing um, after I suspect, I still think and still hope that uh, Donald Trump flames out. I just think uh, he's a disaster in every way. I don't care. The Supreme Court argument doesn't resonate with me. But if he flames out, we're going to have the opposite situation where people are going to say, you know what, we have to do more Trump stuff because this is the, the part of the electorate that we didn't pay attention to, the kind of populist part of the electorate, the, the sort of right-wing nativist part of the electorate. And unlike the previous losses where everyone says, okay, we have to rebuild in a different way, in a more conservative way, especially after McCain. I mean, after, after Romney, we had the, the, the report that um, came out that said we have to like um, Hispanics more. <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't work out so well. Um, but it's an interesting thing, because after, after all of this, I am expecting the Republican Party to say, hey, he did really well and veered uh, towards this populist right, which has never been paid attention to in any significant way outside of the Pat Buchanan's and the Bob Dornan's and these types of people. But I have a, I have a feeling that, that the party is going to be redirected uh, in a way that, uh, that um, some, some people, myself uh, in particular, won't like. You know, um, you know, uh, I can get to the debate too. It's a, that's a, that's a very interesting observation, uh, Michael, uh, surprising coming, coming from you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, um uh, I wouldn't limit it to the Republican Party. I mean, that's uh, certainly where the action will be, sure. and we don't know what's going to happen, and so the drama is there. But I think that Democrats are talking to themselves right now yeah. uh, and thinking about, like, how do we get the West Virginia coal uh, miner, and how sure. do we hmm. get these people? And they, of course, think about it in terms of let's be even worse on trade than we already are right now. It's uh, very uh, interesting to observe the areas that Tim Kaine failed uh, in the debate, right? Tim Kaine should have won that debate. It's not hard. And in, maybe in the in the tale of, you know, memory and the tapes that he created by forcing Mike Pence to say that, oh, Donald Trump never said that on a half a dozen things or a dozen things that Donald Trump actually said. And in some cases, Mike Pence yeah, himself true. said. So maybe he created uh, his victory. But th- 
the biggest thing I would say to 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 win a debate against Mike Pence is that, dude, you were a free trader your entire career, and now you are yeah. echoing the lie, the lie that NAFTA is the worst public policy done ever in the history of America. You totally no, 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 sold your that. soul. That it's not not only the not the worst um, uh, decision or trade deal that's ever come across the transom. It's actually one of the better ones. And NAFTA, I mean, the benefits of NAFTA um, are are wide and very deep too. And there's been a number of economic studies on this, but nobody gives two shits about it these days because, I mean, we have a political class where, you know, as you, as you mentioned, you're absolutely right. The fact that this is reorienting the Democrats too, because Hillary is taking this into the election. She could have just said, you know what, fuck it. The Bernie people are not going to vote. That's a myth. It's a, it's a unicorn that these people are going to kind of lurch towards Trump and they're not really going to vote for Jill Stein when they think the Republic is at stake. I'll go back to the center and go back to a sensible position on trade. And she hasn't done that, which I find. So everybody, everybody, everybody is, up, is on stage lying about trade with maybe the exception of Donald Trump. Yeah, he's just stupid enough to actually believe what he says. Uh, and what's, uh, yeah, he's just dumb. What's also interesting about uh, about that whole thing, too, is that NAFTA helps Mexico produce fewer immigrants. Hmm. Yes, this was something that if you go back to the great primary season debate between Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush in 1980 and their responses to a question about immigration in which uh, – Ronald Reagan said we should open the border both ways. Um, this is back yeah. when you know Mexican women were having six babies per. Um, unemployment was thirty percent or some god awful number like that. Like it was a basket case of a country uh, back then, much more so than even it is today with uh, drug war violence and all these kind of things. Um, but both Reagan and Bush had the concept of like if we increase trade, then we increase prosperity and. That's better for them, uh, and prosperity will help them. People want to stay, um, and that's a that's a good yeah. thing. That's not that's not something that Donald Trump is going to enter in his mind. But Cain couldn't go there with Pence because it would force them to get to the awkward place that Trump was with with Hillary in their debate, which is that when he was scoring the most points was when he was attacking her from the left on trade, right? Because he was right in terms in terms that he, she's a bullshit artist when it comes to it. Um, but it's. It's so remarkable and still not commented on enough as far as I'm concerned that both parties, in addition to completely deciding to LOL and eat at Arby's when it comes to the long-term national fiscal situation, which is a disaster, um, but also they've just decided to become protectionist. What the hell? Like super yeah. way more protectionist than anyone could have imagined in the 1990s. Uh, and uh, and it's uh, it's – it's an enduring stupidity of this election, and it's and it's a reason why I am not hesitant or uh, certainly not shy about uh, covering as much as possible uh, 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 the Johnson campaign or a third party challenge because I mean that that tendency needs to have support, <laughs> it or or like it needs to have not even support's the wrong word. That's not how I uh, see my job, but it needs to have expression. In the body politic, and it's genuinely alarming when that uh, that that tendency is absent in major party politics, and uh, when the and that the alt right thing is kind of all part of that. Like there are there are entire 
ideas out there that are kind of dying in major two-party election this year. Uh, trade is not the only one, and long-term fiscal stuff and entitlement reform, that's not the only one. And part of whatever realignment happens afterwards, we'll need to grapple with that. And uh, you know, I, I hope it redounds to uh, all of our uh, policy preferences, but uh, you know, a lot of it doesn't. I mean, it's it's enough if a lot of Americans are really disillusioned uh, with both parties and start to look elsewhere. I mean, I think that that is not a, a bad a bad outcome. Um, and it seems to me that 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 might be the outcome that gets us closest to actually having someone articulate it. Mike, are you are you being attacked over there? I mean, what on earth are you doing? I was, I was, I, I'm sorry, I just moved into a new apartment and I was attacked by a bear. I, there was one in the, in the that I was unfamiliar with. So. It's fine. No, it's, it's fine. Those, and it's expected. The bears of Williamsburg are notorious. Yeah. <laughs> but, but oh, we... No, I mean that, I mean that in the gate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're kind of up against it here because I, I changed my flight plan so that I could actually be here for the show today. So we, we've got to wrap soon. But let's be clear. You're still not flying coach. <laughs> right? You flying coach today? No, no, no. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> look, look uh, the Libertarian Party frontrunner for 2020 is not going to be flying coach. It's a different LP. Enough, enough of this uh, you know, yeah. threadbare stuff. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm the sort of elitist that would actually run as an elitist. I mean, you want to vote for me because I'm better than you. I deserve nice things. Yeah. Just shut up. There's a, a you know, look at my hot wife. Point, <laughs> from from uh, from listeners for mentioning books. I will mention a book <laughs> that was influential uh, to me a long time ago. William Henry, uh, in defense of elitism, mm. is a terrific uh, book. The former Time Magazine columnist he died probably fifteen twenty years ago, and he uh, the whole social justice business he uh, saw before most people, and he responded by. I'm writing a book called In Defense of Elitism, which, which you know, is a, is a very good book, but, you know, it's a provocative title. But pick it up. You can probably get it for, like, a, a penny on Amazon. I like that. That's great. Well, do, do we have uh, any – some idiot wrote this today? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's been a strange and interesting day for us uh, in the sense that yeah. you were I able to make do. it. And we we found a guy and Damn it. roped him into coming in. Why don't, why don't you share with us, Matt? Why don't you share with the class? So this morning – and I wrote about this and alluded to it earlier – uh, New York Magazine, which every year wins you know, national magazine awards and all this kind of stuff, they had a tweet out um, saying, Libertarian VP candidate Bill Weld gives up, will focus oh, yeah, on, sure. on preventing Trump presidency. So that's what I woke up to this morning. And this is stuff on my beat. But whoa, he gives up. Yeah. Isn't that exactly what Carl Bernstein said he was going to do two weeks ago that we talked about here on the show? Um and so you uh, you go in there and and you click on the on the tweet thinking okay maybe it's a social media person intern gone uh, wrong no the headline on the New York Magazine blog post is Libertarian VP candidate Bill Weld gives up will focus on preventing Trump presidency okay so that's the actual accurate representation now Moynihan you read things um, what does that yeah, what sure. does that headline that tweet what does that well, how would you interpret that. Just as I'm, I'm you, you are Weld, the every reader. How would you interpret that? Yeah, the, the the headline that Bill Weld has given up. Yeah. Yes. Well, I would I would interpret it as as uh, the one thing that I've noticed and most people have noticed, and I think I talked about in Josh Zepps's podcast the fact that nobody uh, that I know reads beyond the headlines they see on <laughs> Facebook. And I actually I actually saw the Bill Weld headline 15 times on Facebook today. 
And, you know, I guess it, I guess it's telegraphing this, like, don't, don't waste your vote on these crackpot libertarians. I mean, because Bill Weld's even given up. <laughs> right. <laughs> Otherwise, I mean, it's, it's clickbait. And I don't, I mean, I don't know if last week, I can't remember if I did as some idiot wrote this about the Lawrence of Arabia. Yes, you did. Thing on New York. We did. did. It was, it was yeah, glorious. So York, I remember. Mag- yeah. And New York Magazine is going down this garden path to, um, to, you know, irrelevance, I think, because much like everything else, there is a kind of identity politics in most everything they write. And then when they do write about politics in a sort of non-identity focused way, they write stupid stuff like this. The, and I would say that, yeah, it's just... I, when you click on the, the print, ma- the print magazine is quite good, by the way. Yeah, it's a, it's the, the a tremendous magazine. When you click on the actual post, um, it is not any bit of original reporting or writing or anything. It is linking to and interpreting a Boston Magazine article about William Weld. Sure. Um, that yeah. magazine has a headline. I don't have it in front of me, but it's along the lines of Weld is going to focus more on criticizing Trump which is something that we've yeah. known for a while. He's actually said it from the beginning of sure. this campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in that piece, it said that the libertarian, this is the lead of the Boston Globe piece, Weld said Tuesday that he plans to focus exclusively on blasting Donald Trump over the next five weeks, a strategic pivot aimed at denying Trump the White House and giving himself a key role in helping to rebuild the GOP. So that's a, that that would be pretty serious if true. It's a woe if true moment. And so I got Bill Weld on the phone today. I'm like, hey, did you say focus exclusively? Did you say pivot, strategic pivot? Are you only going to blast Donald Trump? And the, the weird thing is that it's so hard to figure out um, uh, this because you have to actually look at, I don't know, Bill Weld's Twitter feed during the vice presidential debate in which he was excluded and where he talked and slammed uh, Tim Kaine for half the time and Mike Pence the other half of the time. And just he's got five fundraisers or five rallies in the next four days. They had also said in the Boston Globe piece that um, he's going to focus exclusively on red states uh, and his the rest of this week he's going to New Hampshire, Massachusetts and Maine. <laughs> so yeah, very red. Yeah. Super I mean, duper. Maybe, red. maybe they meant red like left wing, like the old version. Oh of red, yeah, the communist state. The red, uh, red diaper babies, red family. Um, so uh, <laughs> to go in, to go into all of that as you're taking a secondhand report, which is itself crap. Um, that Weld denied vehemently to me on the phone, and you could take that with a grain of salt. But there's some behavior uh, associated with it. And then to say in an atmosphere in which people were asking or at least speculating, Carl Bernstein was like, hey, maybe he's going to drop out. And to write a headline on that, Bill Weld gives up. This is a perfect symptom of what we've seen across the spectrum here. And I alluded to the the concept of this before with Johnson, um, that people are – journalists are now no longer even masking their desire to take things deliberately out of context – to get to a place that is the opposite of the original intention. We saw it with Donald Trump this week with his PTSD comments, uh, which were amazing. I mean, if you take the, 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 the full context of a statement, it's usual idiotic Donald Trump, but he wasn't criticizing vets for being soft. He just wasn't. He was actually trying to, in a stupid way, express sympathy. And we spent 36 hours on Twitter talking about what a monster he is for... Mm. 
being mean to our veterans about PTSD. We now are no longer journalists are now no longer even pretending to care about the actual context as long as it either fits a narrative that they have pre-existing that Bill Weld is a, you know is a chancer and uh, and uh, and not very libertarian, some of which has some elements of truth of it to be sure. Um, or Donald Trump is just an ogre and a troglodyte, and it just serves a political purpose. We're going to see this nonstop for the next 35 days, and that anyone is a journalist doing this, someone who wakes up in the morning and says, regardless of the ideological bent of my magazine or publication, I'm here for the truth that they participate in this, is absolutely fucking shameful. The end. Ooh. Matt, Matt, you're putting, it's a good point because, I mean, the, the thing about ideological journalism or journalism that doesn't hide its ideological biases, I'm not opposed to this. I've always been totally fine with it. And, and I always pointed to this sort of British example where, you know, the Telegraph is a conservative paper, the Guardian's a liberal paper, the Independent's a liberal paper, but they do reporting. And these are reported stories, and it's basically story selection that reveals the biases. And then, of course, the editorial pages you know, will indicate the drift of the paper, too. But the difference with this stuff now is how this stuff is, is now uh, kind of formed, and I see this every day, which is, you know, it is like the hot take culture that has overwhelmed everyone, the speed with which all of this stuff, you know, hits the Internet. And, you know, I find it, it's, it's these aren't reported stories. These are journalists that are saying, like, you know, this Bill Weld business. I mean, this is second, third-hand recycled game of telephone until it fits your, your preformed, you know, biases. And, you know, my idiot wrote this, this week, um, I think also comes from New York. No, it comes from the New Republic, which I think most uh, listeners would be um, rather surprised to know still exists. Um, <laughs> but there was a controversy about the writer Elena Ferrante, the, the Italian uh, writer. That's, that's, a, that's her, her nom de plume. And somebody revealed her identity. Uh, and this has caused an enormous amount of controversy. She, she wrote a series of books, uh, the first one of which I've read called My Brilliant Friend, which is a pretty good book. And this is this, you know, this mystery surrounding her. So New York Review of Books reveals her identity. That's incredible bit of legwork journalism. But there was an enormous controversy about uh, revealing this woman who didn't want to be revealed. So the New Republic, an old political magazine that used to do reporting, like reported pieces. I mean, remember Stephen Glass was was unseated as as a new republic writer because he was faking journalism he was faking that he was places where he actually wasn't because the new republic used to do that but we've been overwhelmed by hot takes that somebody said okay somebody did real journalism revealing the identity of this italian author elena Ferrante, write a story about it the hot take that went up uh, about six hours later was that the reveal was sexist because a woman wants to uh, obscure her identity uh, in the patriarchal world that we live, and it's um, a sexist act to reveal her identity. And like this is essentially 98% of the stuff that I read on the internet every day, and everybody I know, every magazine, every publication is now guilty of it. But, with the exception know, I'm of? Fine with <laughs> Reason Magazine. <laughs> you know? yeah, maybe. Yeah, no, none of, none of Mostly. Mostly. So anyway, I, I, managed, I managed to wrap in my some idiot wrote this take for this week uh, while pivoting off of Matt's, Matt's comment. So Thank you. Yeah, you no, and I, I appreciate the, uh, the speed, uh, the thoughtfulness. Um, I, I think it'd be interesting to revisit um, sort of these related themes uh, in another, in another um, program episode, Future. Uh, because it'd be yeah. really interesting to talk about whether or not, you know, what we're seeing is like deliberate, a deliberate effort to sort of tip the scale um, or if it 
is perhaps a function of something else. Um, and by something else, maybe it's just people who aren't very good journalists. Maybe it's organizations sure. that, that don't uh, have I'm, great editorial staff. I'm bummed that you didn't go like CIA. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, uh... I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're shooting us from the uh, grassy knoll. I don't know. But, but it, it would be interesting to talk about that a little bit more because I, I would want to get your perspectives and I suspect there might be a little bit of a, a disagreement on all of that. But I got to get the hell out of here. Go. Because I'm going to miss my plane. Get, get to the airport. Um, thank the you. Airport. Thank you for and, listening. Uh, Moynihan, thank you for... Okay, uh, well, let, let, he... let me say this before. On, on Monday night, the show that I've been working on is, oh, is yeah. starting. So you yeah. can watch it. And I will, have, I will have a piece on the opening night on HBO at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. Swim. Swim. HBO Vice News. Everyone will be watching. See you next week. Great. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. <laughs>